If we want to grow, a question we must continue to ask ourselves is, do our talking and selling points emphasize what we do or how we solve our customers' problems? Stay tuned, and I'll explain what I mean. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So many of us are putting in the work to overcome the reduction in calls we're getting. Last week, I talked about marketing mistakes I've made, so hopefully you can avoid those. But that's not really my strength. Marketing is, I would not call myself a marketing expert by any stretch. This week, I'm going to talk about something that's much more in my wheelhouse than that, which is building a business through relationships, like industry associations, networking, you know, these repeat, you know, customers we're going to have, you know, generally business customers, business to business customers, we're going to have these repeat um, relationships with uh, transactions, interactions with that kind of thing. So for those of you who don't, who don't know, this is absolutely the core of how we built our business and went from operating out of my living room to invoicing over 9,000 jobs a year in less than 10 years. And one of my favorite things to do back then when we were, when we were in the throes of it, I guess um, we did trade shows and industry association conferences was to walk the floor of the supplier trade show and eavesdrop on my competitor spiel. Like that was one of my favorite things to do. Now, of course I wanted to know how they were positioning themselves as the best supplier to the customers that they and I were all courting. And obviously this became more difficult or, or even impossible. You know, once people knew who I was and the company I was with and what we did, you know, it became really hard or, or even impossible to do that. Before that, I could gather some really good intel. And even after that, I would sometimes bring staff in to go listen, you know, staff that nobody knew because they, you know, that's not their role. They're, they're answering phones or dispatching or accounting or whatever. And bring them to the, to the trade show so they could go listen to the customer or the competitor's uh, speech and what they were giving uh, potential customers then. And then they would come back and let me know what they heard. So in the early years, though, I did that on my own. And uh, again, in the early years, that uh, sometimes the trade shows were small enough I could even hear a competitor a couple tables down. <laughs> you know, uh, when we first started, we were doing you know really small things. So anyhow, there's basically one thing I was listening for. And we all had, you know, me and, and our company and our competitors, we all kind of had roughly the same quality of equipment. Every few years, there'd be some new technology, but we we all got it around the same time. Some of it, you know, some some of them had nicer vans than us and some had older vans than us. You know, we all had a mix of top-notch service techs and the ones we had to keep just because we needed that guy on Friday night. We had to have a Friday night on call, guys. So you, you keep someone that you wouldn't otherwise, uh, you know, keep around. So I never expected my competitors to talk much about those things. And generally they didn't. I mean, they would spend more time talking than I would about how smart and talented their techs were. Not because I don't, I don't or didn't value our techs. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, I hope you've gathered that much at least. But I wouldn't talk a lot about how great and how smart and how talented our techs were because I only had 30 seconds to a couple minutes with these people. 
and I paid a lot of money to get to these tables. And I could count on one hand over you know years how many times I've been asked by a potential client, so how good are your techs? <laughs> Has it happened? 100%. Yes, it's happened. Is that a, 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 a large percentage of the conversations or questions I've been asked by people? Absolutely not. No, there's not even close. There's, there's many more pressing things they're asking than that. So back to my eavesdropping. What was the one thing listened for? It's simple. Like a lot of folks, I struggle with this today in this role I'm in now, which has a very different client base than I had back then. But back then, in that world, after so many years, I had this part down. What I was listening for is, is the salesperson or business owner working the booth talking about what they do or how they solve the potential client's problems? Now, you might be asking yourself right now, what's the difference? What we do is the thing or things that solve the customer's problems. So they're the same thing. And I understand that position. Let me explain our results and then I'll come back to and explain why I think our approach on the what we do versus how we solve their problem worked. I'll pick one example in one industry, but this could just easily apply to those of you who have customers in other or whose customers are other businesses. In our case, we start out with zero single family property management customers. I mean, honestly, we start out with zero customers of all, but, but for sure we had zero single family property management customers. In fact, to be completely honest, we didn't really want any property management customers when we started. We wanted retail like everyone else we knew. We wanted the homeowners. We wanted the the uh, affluent homeowners in affluent neighborhoods. That's, that's what we thought we were going to do when we first started out. And, and we built a comp- company completely different than that where residential was, you know, 5% or something like that of our, of our, um, our mix, our revenue mix. We ended up going at, you know, we built a, ended up building a, a company that was, you know, 95 or 98% commercial business to business. So I had had some experience with property management from sales roles in previous companies, but not a lot, to be honest. And then after a couple of years in business, we learned that we served these particular groups really well. And so we asked one day, we asked a single family property management customer, how can we form might find more customers like her? And she told us, and we're off to the races. And so that was around 2013 or something like that. Now let's fast forward five or six years. I'm sitting in a networking meeting with in a room full of my clients, dozens of my clients and other suppliers. And it's a monthly meeting for the whatever association. And a competitor walked in, a competitor who is new to the association. They had not been coming there before. And they had a very nice young lady who was a salesperson. I'd never met her before. I didn't know her. But she walked in and, and they kind of announced that, you know, she's with this XYZ company. And I was sitting next to one of my clients. And she just kind of nudged me. She just kind of elbowed me a little bit and said, she kind of leaned over into my ear and she says, they don't have a clue, do they? Like, what do you mean? They don't, they don't have a clue about what? She said, they don't have a clue that they don't have a chance here. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was super like flattered and excited. And I had no, I, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Like we, we didn't, there was no buildup to that. She just leaned over and said it. But as I looked around, like we owned the room. We had a huge share of the industry. I mean, we were the biggest player for sure with fanatical customers. I mean, fanatical. Our customers were our absolute best sales representatives. And I'm not even kidding. I'm not exaggerating. People just like her, <laughs> Leanne sitting next to me, were our absolute best salespeople. Again, why were they fanatical? Because we knew 
spoke to, and addressed their problems way more than we focused on getting better at what we did. So for example, in a trade show, I knew for single-family property management uh, customers, one of the top things that really frustrates them about suppliers is not communicating well, which leaves them in a situation where the homeowner, the landlord, calls and asks, what's going on with the new flux capacitor? What's going on with the new HVAC unit or whatever it is, right? And the property manager has to sit there and go, I don't know. (laughs) And it makes them look incompetent and it makes them feel stupid. And it makes the, their landlord clients question things in some cases. And even if that's not happening, it makes the property manager feel like the landlord might be questioning them. That is their problem. That is a major problem. Well, how do we solve that? We solve that by communicating well. We had a very thorough, efficient, kick-ass process for communication. We, we, and we, and we taught it and we drilled it and we drilled it and we taught it. And we preached it and we lived it. So the problem was keeping them from looking incompetent or stupid. The solution was how well we communicated. Well, when I would see them in the trade show, I wouldn't talk about how we communicated well because everybody says that. Everybody says they have great customer service. Everyone says they have top skilled people. Everyone says they have the industry leading warranty and the best pricing and blah, 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 blah. That's all the stuff everyone else would say. When I was seeing the trade show, I would begin the conversation by talking about them. Their problem, in this case, looking incompetent or stupid, and I would go on about how frustrating that must be, and how often, and, and ask him, like, you know, how often is this happening to you? And, and you know what they almost always said, almost always, like, like eighty plus percent of the time, they would say something like, "I'm glad to finally meet somebody who gets it," and they would grab my card, and they would grab our information, and with a wink and a smile, I knew it was done. And that would all happen in three minutes. And it was over. It was done. And I didn't, <laughs> I would spend so little time talking about us. I would spend, I mean, of course I would answer questions, but I would, you know, they, what's your geographic area cover? And, you know, I might have a question, what's your price for this? Okay. Those kinds of things would happen for sure. But once they knew that I got them and I knew their problem and I knew how frustrating it was, I knew how often it happened. I knew how it made their life suck. And we had a solution for that. It was over. It was over. I see so many people working so hard to, to get potential customers to come to understand that they're the best provider because of their 37 years in business or our six-point system or our 21-point safety checkup or because they're a family-owned and operated or they're easy online, blah, 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 like whatever it is. I learned slowly. I'll grant you that. I learned slowly at first, but I learned people don't care about me. They don't care what's great about my company. They don't care about my selling point. They care about them solving their problem and getting through their day easier. When I quit talking about my company and what we do and what I do, and I started talking about them, their problems, how I understood how much that sucked for them, and then specifically how we address that problem so they could be confident they would have less of that problem with us than they would with the guy who just bragged about their 21-point safety checkup system that they had developed over their 37 years in business, it was over. It was absolutely over. And and it, it's important to notice that the problem that I spoke to had nothing to do with the technical work we did, had nothing to do with what we fixed, zero. 
their number one problem had nothing to do with how well we performed the thing we did. Nothing. Their number one problem was not looking stupid now or, or, or being put in situations where they, they felt like they would look stupid or incompetent or an out of touch or you know, whatever. Now, quick disclaimer, obviously our team had to know and apply this knowledge also. <laughs> it would have been a disaster for me to talk about how great we are at these things at the trade show and we got their problems all figured out and then we immediately let them down they called us. That would have been a disaster, and I would not be telling you the same story today. <laughs> That's for sure. It'd be a very different story. So not only did I have to know this stuff and figure it out and speak to it, but we had to teach it. We had to have people who bought in. We had to have employees who would participate in this and 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 willingly go along to do the thing that we talked about how well we did. But the thing we must know is what specific problem each of our talking points addresses. So again, I'll use I'll use one that that is a common one. You know, we've been in business for 43 years. We've been in business for 99 years. Okay. Awesome. What problem does that solve? And I'm not saying it doesn't solve a problem. I'm not being sarcastic and saying there's not value to that. I, there is. But for your client in your industry, what specific problem do they have that calling a company who's been in business for 43 years solves? We must know what specific problem each of our talking points addresses. The ones, the ones we use throughout our conversation with customers, not just in the sales process like a, like a trade show, but also conversations we're having with them when we give an estimate or when we, we book a call or when we, you know, we're, we're wrapping up day one of a three-day project. You know, the talking points we say, the things that we tell the customer to, to, con, to uh, convince them, reassure them, to, to get them to believe whatever that we're the, we're the ones, we're the right ones, and we're confirming after the sale or we're building up to the sale. We got to know what specific problem each of our talking points has, the ones, we, the ones we use everywhere. Our solution is not nearly as important to them as solving their problem. And as our solution is not important at all if they can't contextualize the benefit to them. What does a 21-point safety system, uh, checkup do for somebody? Now, the word safety is there. It's implied that they would know that somehow this gives them some safety. But if they can't contextualize the risk and the benefit of having that, what are they supposed to do with that information? They're supposed to change how they think to appreciate the thing about the supplier. And I'm telling you, that's a heavy lift. I just don't believe that's a reasonable thing to do at scale. Like You could do that maybe one-on-one, but at scale in a marketing situation or like a trade show like we're talking about today or we're doing hundreds or, or thousands of jobs a year to do that. I, I just, I don't, I don't know if that's a, um, I would not be confident with that approach. I think we need to be putting the proper amount of emphasis on their problem versus our solution. I can talk about my company and our solution eventually and for a small part of the conversation. But for me, I better make sure I start out talking about them and their problem and how I understand it. I understand how bad it sucks for them. All right, if you find the information I share helpful, please share this podcast with a friend or colleague you think could benefit from it. Of course, public sharing is also appreciated too. That's it for this week, and I will see you all next week. <laughs>